Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? will be the baby of the year. Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. We are looking live from Indianola, Iowa, Cedar Falls, Iowa, and Terre Haute, Indiana. I'm Jake Brend, co-founder and co-host of the Turbo Team Podcast. Alongside me, Alex Powell and Ben Neeson. How are you guys today? Doing well. Hey, I have a question. So, Jake, wouldn't you and me be considered uh, co-founders, and then Ben would just be considered a co-host? I was going to say that. <laughs> so. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> so the hierarchy of the Turbo Team podcast, uh, Alex and I are co-founders from episode uh, one on, and then <laughs> co-host just a, <laughs> and is just co-host. It's just a three-point okay. pyramid upside down. Ben's co-host from episode four, because number three, he was a guest. Oh, yes. Former guest yeah. is on my resume. <laughs> Former survivor of the Turbo Team podcast, Ben Neeson. And current <laughs> survivor. So yeah, you're right. We're back in uh, in different parts of the state, in different parts of the country, and we are watching, uh, or we watched Devil All the Time. Brand new movie came out yesterday on Netflix. We're recording this uh, Thursday the 17th. Uh, the film is directed by Antonio Campos, starring Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, Sebastian Stand, Bill Skarsgård, and Eliza... Scanlon, uh, the book or the movie is based off of a book written by Donald Ray Pollock in 2011, and Donald Ray Pollock also wrote the movie in the script. And fun fact, this movie was produced by Jake Gyllenhaal's company. It's, it, really? it seems like a Gyllenhaal. After after watching Wildlife, uh, and then watching this movie, I can definitely see the similarities between those now. It's a I very know, Jake Gyllenhaal film. I know it's not this episode, but Wildlife is freaking awesome. Maybe maybe that could be oh, a different yeah. to the Turbo Team podcast. <laughs> I didn't want to make it enough. Uh, if you want to, if you have it, don't want to talk about it, we can. But yeah, wildlife's really good. Check out wildlife on uh, Netflix. Hey, what right, about this week's, this week's episode? Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, what he said. What he said. We're talking about Devil all the time, and Ben, as always, is coming to you with the synopsis. Oh yeah. Prepare yourselves. This Netflix came straight off the top and dome. All right. Uh, Willard Russell, a tormented World War II veteran, cannot save his wife Charlotte from cancer. Although he tries with extreme prayer and the sacrifice of his son Arvin's dog, once Charlotte passes, Willard commits suicide. Arvin goes to stay with his uncle and aunt in Knockhamstiff, who have been raising Lenora, the daughter of an orphan town girl whose preacher husband killed and attempted to resurrect. Hitchhiking from the law, the preacher is intercepted by Carl and Sandy a couple who turn out to be pornographic photographers slash serial killers. Back in Knockhamstiff, <laughs> Arvin is uh, is protective of a bullied Lenora, but is unaware of the new Reverend Preston's seduction and impregnance of Lenora. Lenora feels ashamed and attempts to hang herself, changing her mind at the last second, but accidentally following through with it. Arvin enacts revenge and kills Reverend Preston, and during his flee, he is intercepted accepted by Carl and Sandy, who he discovers their intentions, gets the drop on them, and kills them as well. 
Returning home, he is attacked by Sandy's brother, the town sheriff, but conti- but uh, kills him too. Arvin hitchhikes out of the town and falls asleep on the way to nowhere. Uh, fun fact, that uh, last line was a reference to Friends of the Program Journey. The band? So it's a man. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Is that a band or a song? It's a a man. (laughs) As always, Ben kills it with the synopsis. Oh, yeah. This was probably Ben's hardest task so far when it comes to. After my easiest task last week. Just because there's like, I don't know, nine important characters in this movie and probably like five different plot lines. There's a ton going on, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. But before right, we let's get in, let's get into oh okay never mind go ahead Jake oh, I was gonna, before we get into that uh, uh just want to thank you guys for listening again to this week's episode of the Trevor Team Podcast supports always uh always uh appreciated that's the word I'm looking for it's a <laughs> 10:19 p.m. so Alex I cut you off what were you gonna say I I want to say let's get into that because I was watching this movie and I was thinking I bet Ben has something to say about this. Ben, uh, what did you think about all the different storylines? Okay. Um, one of my friends, Alex, uh, loves to call specific movies shenanigans movies. That's when he means, like, multiple storylines intersect. Uh, there aren't huge events that occur. Um, but that made me just think of this movie exactly. Like, that's what I kept thinking once all the different stories started interweaving with each other. Now, big events do occur, especially during the uh, third act. But I feel that the way they interweaved, what was it, like four or five main stories together, quite seamlessly, I might add. Like, I thought that was very impressive. And I don't know if you guys had seen it, but uh, have you seen the film A Place Beyond the Pines before? You have told me to watch it. You've told me to watch it, though. It's very good, and it's very similar to this, except just a tad more optimistic, but like barely, though, because that's very similar to this film, too. Yeah, so I think when it comes to tying all the plot lines together, it does it with a lot of like attention to detail at the beginning of the movie when it comes to the diner scene. So there's so many characters in this movie, so the the names are going to get lost in translation. So Willard Russell walks into the diner at the same time as, gosh, what's the evil guy's name? At, at the same time as Carl Henderson, and mm-hmm. pretty much <laughs> Henderson beats him to the seat by a second, which then they each get different waitresses than they already get. And of course, Carl ends up with his future wife, Sandy, and then uh, Willard ends up with his uh, future wife, who ends up passing away, Charlotte. So... Just like that little detail right there kind of shapes out the entire movie because obviously Willard's kid ends up being the main character, Arvin, and then the crime relationship slash pornography relationship of Kurt and Sandy ends up, or Carl and Sandy ends up being one of the biggest plot lines of the movie. So I think they do it in a very seamless way where obviously it's in, it's intentional, but it isn't exactly like just plot filler or plot uh, a plot moving along type thing. Yeah, yeah. The, 
the movie does a really good job. Have you guys ever? Do you guys know what the term "the butterfly effect" is? Yeah. Yeah, Jake. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I think for, for the viewers that don't understand, the butterfly <laughs> effect is basically just like a butterfly flapping its wings in one area of the world can cause like an earthquake in the other end of the world, and it's just obviously that's a stretch, but it's just like one event leads to a series of events that lends off of a one small event like leads to a like a string of events leads to one giant event and in this movie i think uses the butterfly effect exceptionally well because you can break it down from each moment and say well if this didn't happen this didn't happen and the two moments that i bounced back to were in the very very beginning right when uh when uh russell's when willard russell gets back from the war and he attends church and uh he gets down at church and what was the what was the girl's name that it, he was uh, uh, Laura's mom. Helen. He no, not Helen. Oh wait, yeah, it was Helen. My bad, my bad. So he gets to the he gets to the church and they're talking about Helen and how when uh, Willard left for war, he said if he made it back if he made it back alive, he would marry Helen when he got back. And Helen's parents both died in like a car accident or something like that. So she was like really alone, and I heard, I guess she was like kind of close with his family. So he promised his mom that he would marry her if he got back. And so the butterfly effect starts out with if he married Helen and, and like fall through his promise and not married that waitress, they wouldn't have had out. They wouldn't have had Arwen. They wouldn't have had Lenora. Uh, Roy Lafferty wouldn't have died because he wouldn't have killed her and then tried to run away. Uh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have been at that diner. So then the the, the Hendersons couldn't have met. And so all these events wouldn't have happened if he just went through with this promise of marrying Helen, but he didn't. And so that's the butterfly effect where that one event of him not following through with his promise led to him going to that diner, led to him, you know, taking that seat from, what was his name? Roy Henderson, Carl Henderson, Carl. taking that seat from Carl Henderson and Carl Henderson met the other waitress. They went on the killing spree. They killed Roy. And you know, all that happened just because, uh, uh, Bill Skarsgård's character wouldn't marry Helen, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's sure. Okay. Well, so I, I thought I thought the movie. Anyway, get off on you this tangent. I thought the, I thought. Huh. I was gonna say you can tell that the movie's based off of a book just because the butterfly effect seems to happen more naturally in books than it does yeah. in movies. And I thought that yep. this was very natural, and it, it it didn't really even hit me until after I watched the movie. Like, none of it seemed forced, which I thought was done really well. Which is actually yeah. the first bullet point I had, and what I liked about the film was I really liked the beginning. And I liked, I liked how even though Tom Holland, the star of the film, wasn't even in it for the first 50 minutes, it kept me engaged. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. like a part of the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, I was, I was uh, watching this uh, with... Uh, survivor of the podcast Curran wadley and as like we were talking about like man like when's when's spider-man gonna show up like because we hit were just like talk, hit the button but we, yeah we were very, very confused because we were like this is really taking its time trying to set up the entire film because we knew tom holland's gonna be in this and then he was like i don't know i'm expecting a big time uh, time jump right now and then like literally a second after that it cut to tom holland <laughs> No, so that's so in the beginning, I had almost an exact same experience. I was Snapchatting Nate Magic. I'm like watching Devil all the time, and he's like, "Oh, it doesn't look that interesting." To Nate, but You're I wrong. I was like, "It's a 
case so far, Tom Holland hasn't even shown up yet, and it's like 50 minutes into the film. And then as soon as I sent that, he it cut to Tom Holland. What did Nate say after that? He was like, oh, it seems kind of artistic now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, was ta- I was talking to Survivor of the podcast, Kyle Kuntz, about the movie, and he said uh, he felt that uh, there was a lot that could have been cut out of it. And I was saying I kind of felt the same way, but I think that's just because I knew Tom Holland was in the movie. And throughout the first 50 minutes, I was like, where is he? Like, when is he showing up? And then he eventually shows up. So I, I think we all kind of had similar experiences with it, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> all with survivors. While we're on the topic of Spider-Man, what did you think of Tom Holland's performance in this movie? Because honestly, when I saw the trailer, I was really skeptical. It seemed like, like a role that uh, kind of like the Southern Baptist that I would be used to seeing him in. And I thought that he killed it. And I thought that he... He was like almost crying every scene, which I thought was really good. He reminded me of that like uh, guy from TikTok with the super dramatic music that's always like preaching. Look, he's coming. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thank you, uh, film connoisseur and TikTok consumer Jake Brand. <laughs> I thought that uh, I thought Tim I thought Tom Holland's performance was interesting because like we were that spider-man you know and the spider-man movies are pretty upbeat and uplifting and tom holland's never really done anything this like dark you know (laughs) (laughs) spider-man it's spider-man uh yo that's the kid from uh the pigeon is a spy movie what anyway (laughs) <laughs> but uh, he, he did one movie before. I think it's called, like, The Lost World of Z or something like that. He played, like, the son in that movie. The main character was the guy from Sons of Anarchy. I don't know. My mom made me watch it with her. Charlie Hanna. Yeah. But uh, so this was, like, his first true dramatic role because that one was, like, one of his first roles early in his career. But I thought he did a good job. I actually have a note about that just kind of while we're on the topic of, you know, Tom Holland in a serious role. Uh, so, did you guys realize that only one of the main characters is actually American? Like the actors? Yeah, so everyone in this movie isn't American except for Riley Q, uh, who played Sandy Henderson. She's the only American in this movie. <laughs> that sounds about right, honestly. As far as like, main characters, they're all oh, either we were... British, Scottish, you know, Swedish, Australian... We were talking about that, uh, Survivor so Curran and I, about, like, how Americans can't do British accents, but British uh, actors can do American accents so easily. I think I think, I think probably good, great American actors can do British accents. I just think the common people can't do British accents, you know. But, but anyway, that brings me to my point. I thought the accents uh, weren't that good. Uh, especially the one that stood out to me was Bill Sarsgaard, who, if you've ever seen an interview with Bill Sarsgaard, he's Swedish, but his, his American accent's, like, pretty good, but, or not his accent, but, like, you know, he sounds American, but I just felt like his, like, kind of Southern Baptist accent was just really bad, you know, it felt forced, like, really, like, it felt really, really forced, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed the same thing, no. but, uh, I, I, I don't know, the accent do it for me i thought i thought they could have been better but that's just me nitpicking you know i felt the same way with roy laftry the first priest of the movie the one who murdered his wife i felt Did that you get, 
Yeah, go ahead. My bad. I thought that his accent was super forced, but I thought that Tom Holland's was good. I thought Pattinson's was great. Like, I thought we can dive into this a little later, but I thought Pattinson's performance was really good. And it oh, was I'm, a lot yeah, shorter than I expected. He didn't have that much screen time, but when he was in it, everything, like, every single facial expression and every, like, mannerism that he had, like, completely sold me on, like, the evil. Uh, kind of torn Southern Baptist preacher. And I thought that the accent added to that. Going back to uh, kind of a point you made earlier, Jake, about this being based off a book and like the butterfly effect. I read a book in AP, Lang- or AP Lit senior year called, I think it's called like 100 Years of Solitude or something about that, like that. And it's basically just like this small village in like South, South Southern America. And it's just about their development from, like, the foundings, and it follows the family that started the village over a hundred of years, like, uh, over a hundred years. That reminded me a lot of this movie where we're kind of following this family's progression throughout, like, you know, their life. And I just think it's, like, it's kind of super interesting because I thought you definitely saw a lot of Willard and uh, Arvin's character, Willard uh, Willard Russell and Arvin, you know. Yeah. he kind of he has a bit of a temper on him. He's a he's a family. He cares about his family a lot, but he's very protective of him. You know, he 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 kind of feels lost in the world a bit. He struggles with his faith and all that stuff. You know, so I I feel like that was a really really good writing on the on the you know writer's part on cause Tom Holland. Like they even looked. I have another note about that. I thought the casting was really good. I felt the kids looked exactly like the older act, like the older actresses that were playing them. I felt that like Tom Holland and Bill Sarsgaard and then uh, whoever was playing Bill Sarsgaard's wife, like Tom Holland looked like a good mixture of them. And same with uh, Lenora. I felt like it felt like she looked like a good mixture of her parents and stuff. So I thought the casting was really good, but <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You're a geneticist, bro. No, you just, they look alike, like head shapes, you gotta, eyes. You gotta get built on the, on the show. Genetics uh, major Robert, friend of the program. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just felt like they did a really good job of writing both Tom Holland and Bill Sarsgaard's character. I felt like you definitely could tell that they were, you know, father and son. Yeah, so, building off of that point, the scene where Tom Holland went and beat up the three guys who was hitting on his, I think, half-sister, adopted sister, whatever you want to say, they're bullying, hitting on her. Or wasn't one of them like making out with her, or something like no. that? No, um, they're they're just, bullying. Okay, yeah, never mind. So the three that were bullying her, and uh, he went up and beat beat them up, and it kind yeah. of like didn't it flash back to? It cut to the scene, his, yeah. His dad going and beating up someone, a father of someone who beat Tom Holland up as a kid. And like you said, that's really good acting where obviously when you see your parents do something like that, you don't want to be like that. But then Holland just lets like his anger get the better of him. And he really does become his father in that moment, I think, for the first time. They uh, they said in that after that scene happened when he's like, all right, let's go get a candy bar. They said that like uh, this was that was like uh, Arvin's like best memory of him and his father together was when he went you know beat up those guys and went and bought him a candy bar. <laughs> Is that's that a weird thing to have as your favorite memory, but okay. <laughs> your father, the drunken gambler. Yes, and who might you be? Ben, was there anything in this movie in specific that stuck out to you that you liked? 
Give me one second. Um, I think it set up a very consistent tone and atmosphere throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. Like, from the opening narration, which was a little jarring at times, but I could understand that from an adapted screenplay. Um, I think that the tone of, like, this very uh, rugged and fight-for-yourself sort of... Um, I was I was about to say South because everyone has Southern accents, but like this all takes place in Ohio and West Virginia. Like what? <laughs> West Virginia is south. I consider West Virginia South. Dude, deep West Virginia is very Southern. Okay, Indiana boy. Deep Indiana is very Southern too. Okay. Okay, here in Deep Indiana. Whatever. Okay. That's <laughs> Brock. That's Brock. His, his grandparents live there. He said they still got the KKK. Good. Thanks for promoting the KKK on the podcast, I'm Alex. Promoting, understand, man. Like, be the program, the KKK. <laughs> the program. <laughs> yeah, so, if any KKK members are listening to this podcast, turn it off. We don't support you. <laughs> but yeah, I think it had a very uh, solid atmosphere. It had a dark, unsettling undertone throughout the entire movie. I mean, it clearly did ever since it showed Oh Willard uncovering that. A private that was crucified and uh, at war. I mean, like that was pretty dark and unsettling, and that was right off the bat. So I don't know what I'm there, trying to get at here. There's but, a lot of disturbing imagery in this movie. Between yeah. that, the dog. I thought Robert Pattinson's throwing like the girl's underwear away after he just had like that like fucking 13 year old girl after he just had sex with her and he threw her underwear away. I thought that was disturbing in a kind of a different way. Yeah. Uh, the the obviously the the like the the dark room in the back of their house where all the films of them like murdering the people the actual shot of them murdering that one like old army private and just yeah. a ton of yes, disturbing imagery in this movie uh yeah I, I one note I had number one I love American Gothic films this I this was like one of my aside from westerns it's probably my favorite genre of films American Gothic so I was really excited for it but I thought this movie did a really good job of showing kind of the downsides and the darkness to severe religion, if that makes sense. So I think the, like in the deep South, obviously religion is a very, very, you know, heavy thing. People, it's like, it's like family and faith. That's the only two things that keep people, that get people out of bed sometimes, you know? And so I thought this showed kind of a downside to that where like the kind of the darkness of it, kind of maybe the people that get into like preachers that get into it that aren't maybe in it for the right reasons, like a Robert Pattinson or some people that, you know, maybe hang on to their faith a little too much. I felt like uh, Rory uh, Lafferty did a good job of that, where he felt that God told him that, you know, kill his wife and then he could resurrect her and. Uh, I thought this movie did a really good job of not necessarily demonizing religion, but just kind of showing that like getting getting so far into it, and this is kind of the dark side of it. Maybe it's not all it's not all religions, but kind of deep south where they take it super seriously. You know, if that makes sense. I thought that was an interesting point they made. I think I know what you're getting at. Yeah. So yeah. the scene where Willard sacrifices the dog to save the life of his wife dates back like way to the old testament like in the first book genesis and this is so i i take pride in like studying religion in the bible quite a bit 
and faith is a pretty strong part. So in the Old Testament, uh, I guess, okay, to listeners who maybe haven't read the Bible, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is Jesus. So Jesus comes in the New Testament, everything before that, he wasn't there. So in the Old Testament, it's believed that the only way that you can communicate to God is through sacrificing. So whether it's sacrificing a lamb, uh, sacrificing your best goat, stuff like that. So that's what is, I think, lost a huge part in translation uh, in modern day religion is where you think that like sacrificing something is just going to make your relationship with God better. And I thought that 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 scene with the wife and the dog was done really well because the entire point of the gospel in modern Christianity is that because Jesus came, you don't have to sacrifice living things for blood because blood was already shed. And I thought that that movie did a really good job of showing the effects of what happens when you don't, if that, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. No, I, uh, do you guys want to get into some of the, who, who are some of your favorite characters in this? Like, there's so many of them. Like, I feel like you had a kind of, I had a favorite, you know, or at least a favorite performance. <laughs> yeah, do I have a favorite? <laughs> That's kind of what I was getting at. Uh, okay. Well, I really liked Arvin. I thought that, I mean, I think Arvin was an anti-hero. Would you guys agree with that? I don't really think that he was completely in the right in everything he did, but he was definitely, like, the most right of the people who murdered anyone. Yeah, yeah. he just he just tried to make everything right by himself or finding his own way of justice, I guess. I think it's kind of one of those where, you know... I, all of the main characters are bad, but some of them are worse than others, you know? Like Euphoria mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of that, where you don't, like, a, a lot of the main characters have just terrible, unredeeming qualities, but, like, like some are better than others, you know? So, anyway, that's what it reminded me of. Sorry to cut you off, Jake. So, for Arvin, I think the only murder that could have been avoided was the first one with Pattinson's character. Because when he figured out that Pattinson was the was the reason for uh, his sister's death. I mean, he went in there with vengeance, but obviously he didn't have to kill him. He didn't have to bring the gun. But after that, I mean, when he was typing and got picked up by that couple, he knew he was going to die if he didn't kill someone there. And I think that uh, Sheriff Bodek was also Sebastian Stan's character. It was going to kill him no matter what in the woods unless he did. So, I mean, obviously, any murder is bad, but I, I would argue that two of them were in self, or three of them were in self-defense, and one was just out of vengeance. Um, I, I see where you're getting at, definitely. I think in the case of Pattinson's character, I see where maybe he didn't have to kill him, but Pattinson was preying on young girls in kind of their town, and that's... And he was kind of abusing his power and his, you know, kind of influence on the on the community. So, yeah, could he have reported him to the authorities or whatever? Yeah, but I think ultimately kind of just killing the guy was, you know, the best thing he could do, even if it was the wrong thing, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Ben, do you have any opinions on the matter? Um, I don't know. I felt like... Uh, through Arvin's upbringing and just his reaction with the bullies and how his father taught him that you need to, like, 
punish what, what was his argument again i forgot exactly what he said he was uh, like you have to pick your time or something like yeah, that pick your time. yeah that's what it was yeah yeah i felt that like arvin picked his time and dealt with the reverend in his own way which albeit is wrong but he saw it uh, as justice and it was in a way because we don't know how long he would have gone on doing that if he yeah. like wasn't dealt with like immediately but yeah um i was just more um wondering if you guys had any ideas about what the title of the film means the devil all the time i um, think that I, my interpretation of it was that from the very beginning the devil was with every single character in the movie like there were very few things very few good things that happened to any single character in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the way I interpreted it. I don't know if you guys had a better way. I think it's kind of just, I, yeah, along those lines, I think they just kind of, the devil's always there, you know, like, like there's always going to be darkness, if that makes sense. Like, I, I, I don't know. They said it, they said it in the beginning. It was like in the very first scene, they, they mentioned it. I, I forgot what the context was though. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys uh, have any more positives? Do you have any negatives? So this isn't either. It was just kind of a question that I came up with when I was preparing for the show. And we already touched on who was our favorite character. But obviously, I, I think you could argue that there was like either five or six villains of this film. <laughs> and I'm not going to try and say who's the main villain because I don't think there really is one. But I want to mm-hmm. see... Who do you guys think was the worst person in this film? So the five that I had were Reverend T. Garden, which was Pattinson's Reverend, uh, Carl and Sandy Henderson, I kind of as a one person, the murderous pornography uh, artist, Roy Laftery, the first Reverend, or Sheriff Bodek? I thought... Uh, I Carl think and honestly, Sandy, what? <laughs> what? I say for sure Carl and Sandy. I don't know. I think it kind of depends on what you see. I think personally, I think it's Robert Pattinson's character, but that's just me. I I agree with that. Just because Pattinson's character is in a place of power where he's supposed mm-hmm. to be influential, while Carl and Sandy, all by horrible, are also just horrible people, and that there's not really like. They're not in like a position of power where they can influence it. You know, they more they're more predators preying on hitchhikers. Where I think Robert Pattinson is a predator in a way because he's preying on you know younger girls in the village and also he's abusing the power his power for like influence over the community, the money. And I think I think he's just truly not a good person at heart, which is ironic because he's a preacher. So. And I think what the movie does so well with Pattinson's character can all be combined into the one scene with kind of like the brunch buffet style. Potluck. Um, when we, yeah, the potluck, when we're first introduced to his character and he eyes the chicken liver and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's poor person food and I'm sorry. And he <laughs> portrays the poor people food as kind of just a sin. And he's like, I'm so sorry for you guys. But really... To him, that was just sin, and he stole it. And that's the reason that he called it out and took it away was because it looked the best to him, and he wanted to eat it all. 
and uh, Arvin called him out on that in the car right after. So I thought that like that scene right there was the best like symbolism slash uh, slash almost metaphor into kind of how he was a preacher in position where he's supposed to be this holy righteous person, but yet he's just as broken, messed up, and stupid as everyone else. Mm. Yeah. Ben, I want to hear your argument for Carl and Sandy. Cause I, I mean, I, I went either way on those three, I guess. I mean, when you frame it like that, and I know where you're coming from when you're making the argument for the Reverend, but, I mean, Carl and Sandy, I mean, come on, like, that's so bad. I mean, we saw the montage of all the different photos that they took, and those were, like, dozens of different people, and they're just picking them up along the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I, think, I think that's where you can also argue kind of the position of power also, although it, it's not a job when you're picking up hitchhikers, that's supposed to be like a good thing. So when like they're doing the right thing and picking them up, but then brutally murdering them, like that's just, yeah, it's horrible. And it's a horrible civic duty on both sides. Yeah. I remember you guys. All right. Do you guys have any more positives? You want to get negatives? (laughs) These are all terrible people. That's my favorite positive. (laughs) I thought the score was very intriguing. Yeah, yeah. Is that all? It, it, it fit the mood of the movie, you know. Because it had a lot of that kind of mid-1900s folk music, but also it had that, like, menacing, like, thriller-type score whenever something bad was about to happen. And I thought that it all kind of blended together pretty well. Along with that, while we're on that topic, I'll just touch on the cinematography it had that very American Gothic horror type feel to it with the Southern woods and the Southern roads. I thought it was done really well. And even though there wasn't really much distinction between West Virginia and Ohio or wherever else they were in the film, everything kind of looked the same. I thought that it all added to the overall theme that Ben was talking about earlier in the show. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So, is that all you guys had? I think that's it for me for positives. Ben? Uh, yeah, that's fair. If we want to touch on negatives quick, I do have another question that we can ask. Uh, you want to do before negatives? We'll do it after the negatives. Okay, so actually, now that you mentioned it, Jake, you kind of reminded, you kind of gave me another one there on top of the one I had. Uh... I had trouble deciphering where they were at times, whether they were in Ohio or West Virginia. And I thought, I, while I eventually got caught up, I don't think it should have been that hard for us to decipher where they were, if that makes sense. It could have just been me getting lost, but uh, like when uh, when Bill Sarsgaard moved away with the waitress to like start their family, like I didn't know they moved like out of the state. You know, I thought they were back home where they were. And then, like, at times I didn't know where, like, they were visiting or what. I just kind of got lost at the location at times, if that makes sense. I don't know if that was the same with you guys or not, but for me it was kind of confusing at times. Uh, and then the other negative I had was uh, part of my language, but I, I wrote, Robert Pattinson's a fucking bitch in this movie. <laughs> uh, so I, I – which and then in parentheses I add, which I means – which I guess means his performance was very convincing. So – uh, good job, 
Jason, I absolutely hated your character in this movie. So uh, that's a bit of a reach of a negative, but uh, that's the only thing I had. I really love this movie. So did you guys have any? I just think my negative, in a way, is a positive, just like you talked about, but I just hated the characters in this movie. I hated, yeah. like... I hated the the killing of the dog scene. I hated the killing of the sacrificing of the wife. I hated Pattinson. I hated the, the couple. But all of it was very good storytelling and was very, very solid performances by the actors. So yeah. I I didn't hate the art behind it, but I hated the, the feeling and the message behind it. Mm-hmm. And how it feel. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't really a picker-upper of a film. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, for me, it just seemed like it wove the stories together very well narratively, but the way some of them were edited together and the length of some storylines compared to others at moments kind of felt a little jarring for me. I thought it maybe jumped around a bit. Like, this is like another film that had has like the same sort of tone in a way or or not same sort of tone but same narrative structure in a way and that's uh pulp fiction it's kind of an indie movie uh but (laughs) no but i just feel like that film is very good at weaving all these stories that don't even all intersect in a way but just giving them their own time to breathe and like marinate before moving on to the other ones and then some of them coming back and some of them um i feel like this film necessarily just to my personal preference at least yeah that's fair i kind of felt that way not as much in the middle of the movie but the beginning at the beginning i just thought that there were so many you're getting introduced to so many different characters and so many different plot lines at the same time that it all just mm-hmm. kind of felt jumbled together into one but I thought that as, I mean, as Arvin's characters both got, or as Arvin's parents both got killed off, that takes away two characters. And I didn't really focus as much time on Arvin's grandma or aunt. I don't really know who she was. So I thought that, yeah. like, as soon as Tom Holland gets introduced, it kind of cuts down to, like, five or six main characters opposed to, like, ten. Which I thought was right. much better for the film. I feel like when... Mm-hmm. Uh, when Tom Holland is introduced, like the film kind of like it finally gets its own its feet. You know, I feel like in the beginning it kind of gets a little messy with, you know, who's who, the relationships, where they are, kind of stuff like that. And, you know, t- Tom Holland's introduced. And I think that's where the actual story starts. While everything before it is just backstory, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Alex. I had uh, I had one. Uh, you can take this as a negative. I just thought there was something kind of interesting. Uh, Tom Holland's a really good shot in this movie. Like, uh, I don't think he ever missed every time he shot that gun. <laughs> you don't miss. Uh, so you can take that as a negative. <laughs> oh, you got them spidey senses. I understood what? You can take it as a negative that maybe, you know, <laughs> a little bit unrealistic, but I thought it was just kind of funny how, like... Like, he shot Robert Pattinson, okay, fine, whatever, they're, like, ten feet away from each other. And then he kicks that door open, puts two in, you know, Andrew, in the Henderson guy, 
okay, fine, whatever. And then, and then the the sheriff's over with a shotgun. He turns out from under this log, puts one right in his stomach, and avoids a shotgun shot. Like, okay, man, Tom Holland should have died like a while ago. Like, this is still going on. So you could <laughs> you could take it as a little bit of unrealism, but I thought it was more funny than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I didn't even think of that, but now, now that you mention it. Yeah, he just don't miss. <laughs> I really thought that Sebastian Stan was going to kill him. I did, too. I, I thought, thought that how yeah. it was going to end. Uh, that, I have a point. I have a question, actually. Did you guys think the movie was predictable? No. Ben? Um... Not necessarily. I mean, I wasn't really too caught up in my mind, usually with trying to predict uh, the ending of this movie or what's going to happen in the scene. I usually am like that, but for some reason I wasn't. I was just um, just watching everything that would play out, like in the scene where Sandy and Carl are trying to pin Arvin into a corner uh, while they're giving him a ride. It's just I was more focused on the tension uh, building and the scene establishing rather than i don't know trying to predict what was going to happen the scene where where after where uh fuck, what's, what's the henderson guy i keep forgetting carl where he kills carl and then it's him and sandy pointing the guns at each other i thought he was gonna die i thought tom holland's character was gonna die in that scene i thought he was i thought they're all three were gonna die and that's just how the movie ended yeah i was thinking about that for a second too yeah, I was like, I heard I, like the the shots went off, and I was like, ah, they're both dead. And then you know, she was dead. Spidey lives on. <laughs> Another adventure. <laughs> Where's Zendaya? <laughs> so that's when he comes out with like his southern accent. <laughs> speaking Spider- of the MCU, while we're while we're on the topic. So off or Sheriff Bodek was act so obviously it was Sebastian Stan, but it was originally cast as Chris Evans. So really? Captain Chris Evans replaced really by good. Bucky. Yeah. What are the so, odds? So Spider Man, Batman, uh uh Pennywise, uh <laughs> the kid from Harry Potter and Bucky all walking Marvel character. I'll walk into set. Uh and that the set of that movie is the devil all the time. Great joke. Yeah, it was supposed to be a bad joke, Ben. Jesus. So before before we end the review, I think that you guys are going to disagree with me, but I'm going to ask the question, do you think that this movie had a happy ending? I thought it had a realistic ending. Is that happy or sad? Uh, It's both. Reality is often disappointing. Huh? Shut up, Jake. Reality is often disappointing. Yes, I thought I thought that like like I said, it's optimistic. So the events leading up to the ending were sad, but then Tom Holland's kind of like, well, I can kind of do whatever I want now with my life. It's kind of in my hands. And then he falls asleep and the movie's over. So <laughs> I surprisingly found the ending extremely hopeful in a movie that was just like pretty much only despair. Yeah, I thought that the the dreams images that Arvin was having while he was like dozing off, I think those were images of like his future. I did too. So there was the kid running up to the car, 
and someone fixing it. And I thought that that was Tom Holland when he was older. And then there was also, yes, there's one other. But I thought that showed that Holland was able to kind of move on from everything that happened and was able to live a somewhat normal life and maybe like rejuvenate his faith. That's how I took it, which I thought was a really good ending for an otherwise depressing movie. Holland didn't have much faith in the first place, though. Yeah, he struggled with it. He would go to church, but I think that was just to please his grandma. Yeah, and he would really only go to pray with the... Or he wouldn't even pray with his sister when she went to go see her mom. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe he ended up getting faith. Maybe he didn't. I I don't know. And I think that's the beauty of this movie was it just kind of ended on that, which I thought was a good ending. It's such a weird... Going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's such a weird thing to see Tom Holland in such a like this a role like this you know because Tom Holland isn't like that as a person he's a very happy lucky smiley guy and seeing him just all like fucking dark and sad and angry at everything is so weird you know <laughs> makes him relatable it does yeah it's like man why are you happy all the time stop <laughs> so do you guys have any parting thoughts before we rate the movie I don't. Uh, I don't at all, Ben. I think we lost Ben. Ben? Nope, not really. Well, I don't think I do either, so I, I guess I'll start it off. I'll give this a solid 7.97. Why? Because <laughs> why not? I thought it was... <laughs> And I thought that it was realistic and depressing, but I also can enjoy a nice, happy ending. I liked all the faith undertones. I don't really think that there was anything like inaccurate about it. I thought that everything was like portrayed really well in a realistic sense. And then capped by Holland, but specifically Pattinson's performances. I thought this was a very good and interesting movie to watch. Not exactly exciting, but... It's something that I'll definitely watch again just because it's very thought provoking. Uh, yeah, I think I, I was I was thinking about watching it again this weekend. Honestly, I re- I really love this movie. Busy schedule? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go next. I'll give it a nine. I like I said, I really Whoa. I really love this movie. I don't understand why I only got like a sixty-two on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, that's the critic score. The audience score, the audience score is like 93, which I felt is more deserving. I, I didn't have really any negatives of it. I thought every character was super interesting. I thought all the performances were amazing. I thought, you know, it, I don't know. It was just really well done film. I felt like and super interesting. I think you can nitpick any like subtle theme of it and go on for a few hours talking about that. So I think there's a lot to unpack. I also, we didn't mention this. I, so the movie was two hours eighteen minutes. I think that is a perfect length for uh, for this movie. I was very very pleased because after every event that happened, I kept wanting more, you know. And by the time the movie was over, I, w- I didn't feel unsatisfied with anything. So I thought I thought it was a really really good movie. I'll give it a nine out of ten. Wow. How about you, Ben? Okay. Uh, I'm going to contrast a little bit from you two. I'm going to give this a 6 out of 10. Oh. 
Might be the biggest see yet. I was expecting a reaction from Alex, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because I aligned this film so much with The Place Beyond the Pines, but it has very similar themes. And um, the shots are all right. It's nothing amazing or nothing to live by. Uh, the performance impact on me as it did for you two, honestly. That's fair. And that's why this is a podcast with differenting opinions. But I think a, Thanks, Jake. I think a three point difference might be the biggest we've had for a movie or a show yet. Maybe Dave, I think. Uh, no, I think Uncut Gems. Because I didn't like Uncut Gems. That's true. I don't know, whatever. Well, anyways, we're going to transition into this next segment, which we honestly have no idea how it's going to go, but we're going to be casting a thriller movie and just kind of picking out, like, the top three actors, actresses for the film and kind of just, like, a brief kind of, like, what they would be. It was something that we kind of threw around in the chat. Do you want to cast all three of us cast one movie or each of us cast our own movie? I was thinking our own. Okay. Oh. And then uh so you say thriller. Can I give can I get an example of kind of what kind of what kind of thriller you're thinking of? I was kind of thinking You like you you make it around the actors that you have. Uh I came up with my idea. Um I th- thought of just like some of the favorite uh my some of my favorite actors that can be in this type of role or in this type of film before i mean naturally i wanted to go with something that uh i had enjoyed before for a thriller but i decided to choose something that or choose someone that i hadn't really seen in these kind of roles before that are like just a straightforward thriller type role and that's colin farrell uh, I love him and like almost anything that he's in. Yeah, I think he's a good actor. True, True Detective season two he's in one. It's just the season's really bad. Yeah, I know. You told me not to watch it, so I haven't yet. But no. uh, for that cast, I'm going with him. Uh, I'm going with Brian Cranston as well. Uh, I was thinking of uh, uh, the vibe or the tone that he gave off in Godzilla when he was alive in it before they killed him off for no reason. Uh, I think that he did very well in that sort of tone, but when you think of uh, Brian Cranston, you probably think of Heisenberg or something like that. But I thought that was a good performance in, in that sort of slot. He'd be good. And then for the third actor, I went with Paul Dano. Because in a way, and I suspect him to sort of be like this in The Riddler, uh, as he plays The Riddler in the Batman film coming up. But if he was to be more of a Joker in the Dark Knight type of character, not in the sense of like the same morals or makeup or shtick or anything like that, but just being able to be a chaotic, uh, neutral, sort of just whirlwind into a crime syndicate that would be either colin farrell and uh brian cranston both have rival gangs or crime syndicates and then paul dano just starts messing with both of them 
and then it just becomes into like a huge ordeal. I feel like that'd be a super interesting film. Uh, Jake. Yeah. So for mine, mine's I kind of went the exact opposite of Ben. I went where like I kind of just chose like some of my favorite roles I've ever seen in kind of like thriller slash mystery types. So my first one is Jake Gyllenhaal, and I think his performance in Nightcrawler is like one of my favorite movie performances ever. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, or even in Zodiac, he's really good too. Seeing him in a movie like this, where he's the lead, I like it's something that I automatically want to watch just because he's so polarizing and he's such a good method actor at getting you to buy into that scene, whether it's with murder or something as like small as being a news reporter. And then my next one, so I had Rosamund Pike. She Ooh, Gone Girl. Yep, she's the villain of Gone Girl, and I honestly. I say this was confident. She's like one of my top three or five movie villains ever. And she is insanely good in this movie. And I was actually listening to a podcast uh, where they were talking about this movie. And it was a quote from Fincher saying that uh, they considered, gosh, what's her name? Uh, Reese Witherspoon for this role. And there's, there's one other big actress but the reason that he settled for pike a much like under the radar actress was because there's like such an unknown quality to her where like she didn't exactly have to impress anyone with her role or she didn't really have to worry about how she was portrayed and in this in gone girl she was so good and i she hasn't really landed in any big film since then so i would just i'd love to see her in another role like that where maybe she isn't even the bad guy and maybe she's She's actually playing the role of the victim. And then my final one, I had Paul Dano, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ben Ben already took that one. If I think of another one, uh, we can come back to me. But Alex, what do you have? So you took. Are we not taking each other's then? Because we go can. for it. Just take them. Just take them. I had Jake Gyllenhaal. I think, like you said. If I see Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie, unless that movie is Velvet Buzzsaw, uh, I want to watch it uh, just because <laughs> he's so polarizing. I think Jake Gyllenhaal kills every performance, so whatever movie he's in, I'll watch. Uh, number two for Thriller, uh, after seeing True Detective Season 1, uh, any serious role that Matthew McConaughey is in, mm. I'm going to watch. I, I think forgot about him. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey is such a guy where you don't think like he you just think he's like the guy from Magic Mike. And then you watch like a movie like like a season one of True Detective and you're like, Oh my god, how is this guy not the best actor working right now? You know, he's just he kills serious roles. As and a so child I, growing up watching Magic Mike, I didn't start <laughs> to appreciate his films until I saw True Detective. <laughs> uh, podcast. I'm really having trouble with this third one. I think I so I'm gonna pick these three. I think you can cast them. Um, what? I think anyone except for McConaughey could probably play the villain. But for the villain, for the third guy, I'm gonna take Christian Bale. I think Christian Bale is another guy like these two that just completely sells out in any role he's in. Obviously, he's he's like known for like changing weights for roles and stuff. 
so I think I think between those three, I think maybe have Bale play. I think Bale could probably play a convincing villain if you really asked him to. Uh, and then just have some form of Gyllenhaal and McConaughey storyline interweaving. I don't think I think with this you don't have all three of the storylines connected immediately. I think you interweave them, finding you know different reasons for them to come together and stuff. And I don't even think necessarily you have to have Gyllenhaal and McConaughey like work together. I think just you have to have their storylines connect some uh, somehow. Uh, some interchangeable guys. I think maybe Daniel Day Lewis could definitely play. I know he's retired now, but he could definitely <laughs> play a good one. Uh, and then I mean Brad Pitt's another guy that's you know he's known being really well, a really good actor for a reason. So I think if you want a little more lighthearted of a thing, not super lighthearted, but a little more <laughs> on the light side. Throwing Brad Pitt in there, you know. Yeah, one. So dark. So for some reason, when you thought of uh, when you said how all their plots would uh, connect somehow, I just uh, thought of Burn After Reading and how Brad yeah. Pitt's character comes to an end. I'm not gonna say it because it's amazing. He <laughs> Coen Brothers, like it's awesome. <laughs> it's funny. It's like what? It's such a Coen Brothers. Yeah. So before we wrap things up. We should do what is the worst possible actor to cast in your thriller movie? That's One. interesting. Uh, Jake uh, Paul. <laughs> Take it seriously, Ben. <laughs> He's my favorite YouTuber. That's what that's <laughs> what I mean. Jake, do you have one off the top of your head? <laughs> Just because I'm on the topic of Gone Girl, Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> were you were you initially set off by him being in that movie, Jake? It threw me off, and I didn't think he was very good in it. It just looked like he was playing Barney from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, like I didn't I didn't see anyone else in that role. I think that's just all he knows how to do because apparently, like I didn't it didn't catch me off guard at all. Like I didn't wasn't offended by the casting or anything, but apparently, it, like that was the word around like around the media, like when that film was released. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is not good in Gone Girl. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris isn't exactly in a ton of movies in itself. He's kind of more of like a sitcom commercial guy. So casting mm-hmm. a thriller is very interesting, let alone a, a Fincher one. Yeah. Uh, ben, do you have one? I already did. What did you say? Jake Paul. Come on, man. All <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think I've said this before. I don't hate the guy, but I don't want to watch a thriller with The Rock in it. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the guy that pretended to be a fat kid in whatever that movie with Kevin Hart where they're like... Central Intelligence. Yeah, like... No sense of His movies can be funny at times, but, like, I don't want to watch a thriller with The Rock in it. And I feel like we're definitely going to get one soon, so... That's very, that's very fair. Can you imagine a serious, like, dark thriller movie, but the main actors are The Rock and Kevin Hart? <laughs> with, like, the, with, like, uh... Ice Cube in a in an appearance, and... <laughs> I don't know, who would be, like, the... Who would be the, the woman that's so out of Kevin Hart's league, but he ends up with her anyway? Megan Fox. Addison yeah. Rae. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so funny? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's his it's his character from Central Intelligence when it's the same 
where it's just Kevin Hart wearing a wig and he's supposed to be 17. <laughs> All right, we've, I think we've got too far off topic. She just got casted in something. Did you see that? Yeah, I don't care. Everyone's like super upset about it. Like, she has no talent. Like, don't yeah. watch it then. Like, okay. Like, what do you want me to do about it? What do you want me to do about it? Speaking of snubs, Allison Bree got robbed from She Hulk. Who's playing She Hulk? Uh, I can't remember. I don't know. I don't Allison think I, Brie would be weird. Yeah, I don't think Allison Brie would be a good She Hulk. Like, Ronda Rousey would be a good She Hulk. <laughs> Uh, oh no! Do Michelle cool. Rodriguez. Do Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> yes. So I'm starting on behalf of the Turbo Team podcast. I'm starting a petition to get Michelle Rodriguez to play She-Hulk. It's uh Tatiana Mislani. Cool. But when Whatever. she turns into Hulk, she becomes a man. <laughs> <laughs> so she just becomes a Hulk. <laughs> But when she's not, but the Hulk's pronouns are she, though, when it's the Hulk. I think his pronouns are Hulk and Smash. <laughs> Please have a seat, Smash. <laughs> We've got to end this show. <laughs> this has been the Turbo Team Podcast. Next week, we'll have a, a little more in-depth conversation about She-Hulk. For me, Jake... Uh, Mike Brandon, the next week, right? Oh, yeah, we will have... a I guess next week. And then, so actually we'll be sending out a tweet for this, but October has five weeks in it and we're going to be doing an only spooky October on the Turbo Team podcast. So if you have horror movie or spooky movie suggestions, tweet us at the Turbo Team pod. That's going to do it this week for us. Uh, Sounding off from Indianola, Iowa, Cedar Falls and Terre Haute. I'm your co-host, Jake Brennan. Thanks for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.